Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord God, I ask that it is your word that would be spoken. Any word that is not of you would fall away, would be unheard and unremembered, so that all we have left is your perfect word for us. Amen. Last week, we uh, introduced this theme of the year for us, which is the idea of full flourishing. And so we begin this new sermon series on what the Bible says about being human. What does it mean for us to be human? If we desire to have flourishing lives, to have a flourishing church, this is pretty foundational stuff for us. So we're going to ask a question this week, one that is pertinent to each of us, and, and we're going to continue to do that in the weeks to come. This morning, we begin with the beginning itself, page one of your Bible, right? We ask the question, what is creation? And, most, and more importantly, what is the human role in creation? What's our role in creation? So to start, uh, indulge me a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of art history. One of the most uh, iconic images of the Renaissance is this image, an image that most of you have probably seen at some time in your life. Maybe you didn't know what it was. This is Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. It's really amazing that this is one of the enduring images of, uh, of art from the most important period in art history. We might think of uh, his Mona Lisa or Botticelli's Birth of Venus or Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. This piece is nothing like those at all. It's a simple, somewhat crude ink sketch on paper that was certainly never meant to be hung among da Vinci's master paintings. In fact, this piece is in, uh, in Venice in the Galleria dell'Accademia uh, with several other codices uh, that da Vinci drew and, and wrote on. Um, it's, it's only three centimeters by two centimeters, the actual drawing, and it's under inches of plexiglass. It only comes out a few times a year because they're afraid that it's going to get damaged. You can see uh, words from the other side of the paper bleeding through. This is his notebook, basically. It's hard to imagine that da Vinci had any idea of the importance of this little sketch, yet it is absolutely one of the most important images in the history of art. But why? Why is it so important? Well, I think there's something elemental and relatable uh, in this small sketch as we, as we look at it that has to do with art and math kind of all at once. So if you look at this, we know how to find the area of a circle, right? This is sort of basic geometry. You take the value of pi and you multiply it by the radius squared. We also know how to find the area of a square. You take the base and you multiply it by itself. That's pretty easy. I don't hardly know anything about math, and I knew that, right? But ancient Greek philosophers, long before da Vinci, were asking a, a, a more complex question. How can you take the area of a square and make it equal to the area of a circle? It's an ancient question. How can you circle a square or square a circle? Well, the Renaissance, what they love to do is they love to take these ancient kind of questions and rehash them in their own way, ask them in new and fresh ways. And that's really what da Vinci is doing here. And da Vinci is going to the ancient architect Vitruvius to try and do this. Vitruvius had a claim that the navel, the belly button, is the center of humanity. So da Vinci had an idea. If I put my compass in the middle of a human being and, and draw a radius around it, uh, that human beings are going to feel that and it's going to be symmetrical. And look, it is. But he also uh, uses Vitruvius's uh, really important discovery that uh, our wingspan tends to be the exact height of who we are. It's actually, uh, mo for most of you, your wingspan is, is commensurate with your actual height. And so da Vinci creates 
a square. See what he's doing? He's squaring a circle. In doing so, he's answering that ancient question. The human body circles the square. The human body does that. Humanity does that. And here we have the Vitruvian man. Perfect. It's a balance of symmetry and math and architecture and beauty and humanity. So remember our question today is, what is creation? And maybe more importantly, what is our part as humans in that creation? What's our role in that creation? And maybe we think of this image first, because this is, the, this is the kind of image that we think of when we think of humanity. When God created earth, you heard that read for you today? It's symmetrical. He brings order out of chaos. He brings things into symmetry, light and darkness and air and water, land, vegetation, animals on the land and up above and down below, and last of all, humans, man and woman. And he looks at his creation and he says, it's good, it's good. The word in Hebrew is tov. You're going to learn some Hebrew words in this sermon series. It gets translated in English as good, but a better definition is up there for you. A better definition is a little more broad. Good, pleasing, and working the way that it's supposed to. Good, pleasing, and working the way that it's supposed to. Tov shows up five times in Genesis 1 to describe creation. And then in verse 31, God looks over all of his creation that he's created and he says, it's tov ma'od, which is like super duper good and pleasing and super duper working the way that it should. It's like the Vitruvian man, right? It's fitting together. It's balanced. The angles are right. The formula and the equation, and, and, and it, it works together, and humanity is perfectly situated, situated in the middle of it. Everything measures out perfectly. But then as we know, Balance doesn't stay that way in creation. Sin enters the picture. We're going to talk about that too in the weeks to come. But of course, we, we lose our toveness. We spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to Eden, get back to this perfect balance, this perfect symmetry as God intended. And that's often the notion of what we have of what it means to be human, a striving to become a Vitruvian balanced person, striving to get back to tove. Well, to be honest, as I, as I work through that this week, that kind of view of humanity exhausts me. And it doesn't sound like the gospel of Jesus to me. So instead, I, I want to offer a fresh alternative for you uh, as we think about our place in creation. If you look at the image that we, that we put together for our sermon series, The Art of Being Human, you'll see it's not the Vitruvian Man at all. It's actually the opposite. It's a loose sketch of a human figure. It's wild. It's unbalanced. It's uncentered, and it's asymmetrical. Why would we do that? Well, because I think what we want to be saying is that life is not, humanity is not an equation that we plug into. We were never created to be that way. It is more of a free-flowing sketch than it is a formula. In fact, this is part of the uniqueness of the Christian faith and the Judeo-Christian faith. You might not know this, but Genesis, which was read for us, is not the only creation narrative that was in existence at its time. There were several others. It's really fascinating to study them. One that was particularly popular was one called the Anuma Elish. It was in Babylon at the time, which was sort of the cultural center. And it's got a lot of similarities to the creation story that we read today and, and, and lots of uh, uh, things in common with other creation stories from the time. There's a creator, God. The God that creates is named Marduk in this story. Um, and Marduk creates the, the known world, the, the vegetation and the land and the air and all those kinds of things. Very similar to, in some ways to how we understand the creation story. But here's the difference. In the Enuma Elish, 
Marduk, when it comes to creating humans at the end of this creation, has a little powwow with the lesser gods and says, how are we doing? And the lesser gods say, you know what would be great is if we had some people, if you could create some humans that could do all the work for us so that we could live our lives at ease. And Marduk's like, that's a great idea. So Marduk creates humans to work for the gods. They, they bring sacrifices to the temple as food for the gods. They're the ones that are supposed to be keeping this balance and order together. And if they do so, the gods will bless them with fertility and wealth and all the, all the things that they need. And if they don't, they'll either smite them or they will just allow them to destroy themselves. And this is the creation story from Babylon. Where is humans placed in that? Well, they're essentially indentured servants. They're slaves to the gods. It's the Hebrew Genesis creation story that really sticks out amongst all the other creation stories of the time. In fact, when you read it, like Katrina read it, which was so beautiful, it sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison. Unlike Marduk, God, Yahweh as we call him, doesn't, doesn't seem to think of this, this work as a burden. He enjoys the work of creation. Creation isn't a means to an end. It's, it's a living canvas of wonder and joy. God doesn't create humans to do work for him so that he can just sit back and live at ease. Apparently, God wants to enjoy creation with humanity. He, he creates Adam and Eve in his likeness because he wants to share himself with them. He wants partners, not slaves. Creation was for God and humanity to enjoy together. And you, my friend, you need to know that you are created in the image of God. The same goes for you as it does with Adam and Eve. You are created not to be a gear in a machine, not to make things work just perfectly right for the gods. You are created because God wants to be in relationship with you. More on this in weeks to come, but I want you to hear that today. God created you in his image because he wants to share himself with you and enjoy the whole of creation with you. And to that I say, you can have your Mardukes. I'm going to take the Yahweh of Genesis 1. But some of you might be saying, hold on a second. Your definition of tov was, wasn't it good, pleasing, and, and working the way that it should? That's kind of a problem, isn't it? I mean, I think we can all agree that as we look at our own lives and we look at this world and we look at the exploitation of our creation, we, we can probably agree here that everything is not all good and everything is not all pleasing and everything is not working the way that it should, right? This is true. It's the result of sin entering the world and marring that which is tov. So does that mean that all of creation after the fall, all of creation after Adam and Eve, all of creation after Genesis 1 is no longer tov? Well, in a way it does. That tree that you saw this morning when you walked outside, the song that you heard, the sunset that you view, there is goodness in there, but there's brokenness too. And you and I, we're, we're still created in God's image. Nothing can ever take that away from you. But we must be honest about the stain of sin and the devastation that it causes. We, on the whole, are not good. And we're not pleasing. And we're not working the way that we're supposed to. But luckily, God has a plan and has had a plan all along. From the moment sin entered the world, God has been at work to restore Tov in his creation. And especially, maybe, in us. Listen to these words in, in Revelation 4.11. Uh, 4, 
So we read the beginning of our Bible. This is towards the very end. John says in Revelation, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. The whole point of creation is God's pleasure, giving God delight. And the author John makes it clear that this does not just apply to the original creation in Genesis 1, but all of creation, that all are and were created for God's pleasure. In the sixth day, it says that, that God looked over his creation with Adam and Eve by his side as partners in his creation, and they delighted in it. And he still does. There's not a formula for us to return to Tov. There's an invitation to a relationship where God restores Tov to all things. I got to admit, I was surprised when I started studying the Vitruvian man this week, but I, I learned some pretty mind-blowing stuff about this piece. I want you to know something that's really important. Uh, da Vinci's drawing isn't actually perfect. The ancient question, how do you circle a square? Well, it's actually not possible to do that because of the nature of pi. One of you that's way smarter than me can explain that to me maybe, but it's actually not possible to square a circle or circle a square. Da Vinci appears to have known this. In a codex, a related codex, he mentions a, a contemporary philosopher named Pico della Mirandola. And, and this has to do with, with, uh, with, with a predominant theme called Neoplatonism. Hang with me here, okay? Neoplatonism was, was a belief of a hierarchy of beings. So if you think about the creation story, Neoplatonism said that there's a vertical chain of beings. God's at the top, and then below is the angels, and then there's the, the planets and the stars and, and the created world, and then there's humanity, and then there's the animals, and then there's demons, and then there's the, the prince of darkness. You might notice in this theory, where's humanity? It's right in the middle, right? Balanced, symmetrical. Are you getting suspicion of, suspicious of symmetry yet? I hope so. Mirandola challenged this idea of the chain of being. He had a certain view of creation that believed that God didn't just create a hierarchy of beings so that humans could function as the perfectly balanced force in the middle of it, but rather that God created humans with the ability to comprehend and enjoy and take pleasure and participate in the fullness of creation. So Mirandula took humanity out of the middle of that chain of being, saying that humans have a unique ability to take any position that they want. In other words, humans have the ability to either descend the chain and act like an animal, which is where we get our source of violence and, and hatred and, and, and our worst tendencies, but humans can also ascend the chain, and in Mirandola's words, become like God, or we might talk about do righteous acts, do Christ-like acts, move up the chain, our best tendencies. The fact that da Vinci was wrestling with this philosophy makes me view the Vitruvian man a little differently. I don't see as much symmetry and balance uh, and geometry when I look at it now. I see movement. I see movement that says, Humanity is, is fluid and can explore the complex spaces that God gives to us. It can move in many different directions. It's not about a perfect formula, a perfect architecture. It's about movement. We as humans were created not as servants with a task, but as partners in God's creation with fluidity and movement and deep purpose. No wonder this little postage stamp of a piece is so important to us. So I want to close just with a, a couple things that I want you to hear this morning. The first is this, God creates us in his image, but it's only through Jesus alone that we can recover Tov in our lives. 
You can strive and you can strive to return to the garden through your own good behavior and your perfect balance in your life, but I need to tell you, it's not going to work. It's not going to be a fruitful exercise for you. No matter how balanced you are, how good you are of your own goodness, you are not going to get back to Tov. But a relationship with Jesus can do that for you. God loves you. The mess that you are, the mess that I am, he doesn't gloss over our sin and brokenness, but he loves his creation. And he makes a way back to Tov through Jesus Christ. Second thing is we are called to be agents of Tov in this world. That's what it means to partner with God in creation. God didn't create us so that he could sit back and relax. He wants partners in his Tov creation. So the goal of creation is to glorify God. So anything that we do, I want you to think about your life, anything that you can do that would glorify God and, and, and do something that is good and pleasing to him and, and cause things to work the way that they should, then we're partnering with God's creation. When we show dignity to our fellow human beings, we're being agents of Tov. When we take care of God's precious creation, we're being agents of Tov. When we work towards peace and justice in the name of Jesus Christ, we are being agents of Tov. When we raise our kids to know and love and respect their creator God and their savior Jesus, we're being agents of Tov. When we do the work that God has given us to do with a sense and a a desire to give him glory, we're being agents of Tov. Remember what Mirandola said, human beings have a unique ability to position themselves anywhere they please. We can either be Tov inhibitors or Tov promoters with our lives. And it's God's image that still resides in you, that image that allows us to make things Tov, the model of our good creator. And we know that we can be presented as Tov through Jesus Christ and be agents of Tov because of God's good work through Jesus. God came down the chain of being to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He placed Jesus at the center of creation as a human, moving, fluid, flexible. He squared the circle with Jesus, and he circled the square. Where you and I fall short, Jesus did not. Where Adam and Abraham and Israel fell short, Jesus did not. When John, in in the prologue to his gospel, says, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, notice what he says next. We beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of the Father. Do you remember what the whole point of creation is in the first place? To glorify the Father. Jesus is the ultimate partner. Do you see that this was God's plan from the very beginning? To partner with humanity, to glorify him. Well, God never gave up on that goal. And Jesus is the ultimate tov who calls us to spend our days making the world tov in his name the one who makes all things new. Let me pray for you as you go out into this broken world to make things tov. Lord, we thank you that what you make is good, that you do not regret the things that you made, even when they defy you, even in their brokenness and their sin. Lord, would you... Give us the courage to deepen in relationship with Jesus, the one who can make us Tov. Would you give us 
eyes to see the ways in which in this broken world you're calling us to be agents of goodness, agents of tov. And Lord, we thank you that you did not create us for a task, but you created us for a relationship. That you called us as partners and that you would grace us with the ability to be a part of your goodness.